At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Bringing your grand total between retirement brokerage and savings to $327,499. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> it's and no debt. Put, yeah, that's very nice, other than the mortgage. But. but very minimal mortgage relative to what you have saved. Hello, and welcome to Planetial's podcast, Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here today with my guest, Melanie. Hi, Melanie. Hi. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. You're one of our, I think, your second to last for the season here. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is exciting. So um, how did you find us? Just curious before we go through the drill. Of all of- yeah. Um, so I think really, I was just like Googling for financial podcasts and yours was one of the recommended ones that came up on the list that I was looking at. So yeah, I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, but big fan. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm happy to have you on now so we can, cause I had a feeling you were a listener cause you sent me a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, it's it like peer pressure. I didn't have one, but I made it specifically for this. <laughs> uh, I love a good spreadsheet. Although, you know, one of the women I work with is actually like, a ninja in Excel. And so my spreadsheet skills are really actually not that good. And some of the spreadsheets I have been sent, I'm like, so impressed with. Um, so I figured you were a listener since you sent me a spreadsheet, because I always tell people, there is no requirement, you don't have to have a spreadsheet, you don't, you could just come on, you don't have to have it, but it does make it a little easier for me, at least. Um, so I don't have to like take diligent notes, and I have everything in front of me. So thank you. Um, wow. Okay, perfect. So tell us about yourself. Where are you from? How old you are? Um, I ha- we'll go through how much you make, uh, what your job is, all that jazz. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I am 32 years old. I live in the Northeast Ohio area. Um, I am not married, but I do live with my boyfriend. Um, and I work for like a large healthcare organization um, in their research department as a systems analyst. So that sounds confusing, but I'm basically a programmer. <laughs> Um, and my salary is right around a hundred thousand dollars a year. 
So amazing. Did I cover yeah. That? Yeah. So live with a from Ohio, live with your boyfriend. You're a programmer in the medical field. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yep. And you make a hundred thousand gross. Yes. Yep. Amazing. And you're 32. Yes. Perfect. Okay, cool. So then let's go. We'll, and you have some questions. So let's talk. Do you want to start with your income? Yeah, sure. That sounds good. Okay, perfect. So do you want to kind of talk me through here? So your gross pay is the, is we'll just round numbers, 4350 So 4350 And then you have pre-tax deductions that work out to be just around 1100 You have taxes. Um, so your net pay bi-monthly comes out to be a little over 2200 Yep. Perfect. Um, and then you did monthly for me. Oh my God, what a dream. So <laughs> already added it up for me. So you're, because I don't know why, because most people, I started out on a monthly salary when I, my first job out of college. So I just got really used to doing expenses monthly. There's no right or wrong reason, but I am used to, and obviously a lot of your bills are monthly, even though we're not paid monthly. So, okay. Yeah. So your month, your monthly net is $4,530, your monthly expenses um, work out to be just around 1600 And so uh, your miscellaneous expenses are around 1500 So your average leftover is around 1400 And then your expense sharing, so that's what like bills you share with your boyfriend is around 600 And so monthly after all of that, your total monthly extra is 2000 Yeah. And I have like some of that allocated to other things, like just savings goals or whatever. We can talk about that. But um, yeah, it, without any of that, um, that's what my leftover would be. Okay, perfect. So, and when you say monthly expenses, the, the roughly 1600 number, that mm -hmm. is your fixed expenses. Yeah. So that's like mortgage payment, gas, electric. Um, so yeah things that I just pay monthly always. Got it. And then the expense sharing income for fat for like 600, roughly it's 580 on here. That's mm -hmm. what you get reimbursed from your boyfriend. Yeah. So okay. we've just like arranged that, um, there's like a base payment. Basically we split the mortgage payment, split like all of the monthly bills and then Ooh, a mortgage we... payment. I didn't get to tab two yet. Okay. Mortgage. So oh, do yeah. you own the house? <laughs> I do. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. So he pays you rent essentially. So that's his, his cost is 580. So you get that to you. Yes, exactly. We just decided that was easier. So like I still, I kept all of the bills and everything in my name. Um, and then he just pays me and I pay all of them. So yeah, perfect. Okay. So that's how, so your monthly expenses and average miscellaneous expenses come to 3,100. So therefore you have left over about 1,400 plus you get 600 from him so that you end up with just about 2,000 a month extra. And so then your, your fixed expenses are pretty minimal, which is great. So your mortgage, which is a, is amazing is 885. Yeah. And when did you take your, when, what, when did you take your mortgage out? Oh, we have a mortgage tab. So your original value is one, 124,000. You have 75,000 left and you have an interest rate of three and a half. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I got lucky. I definitely did not know how lucky I was whenever I took <laughs> it out, but I bought my house like six years ago. Um, so got in whenever prices were low and interest rates were pretty low. So yeah, I left out there. <laughs> Incredible. Because I think they were just saying interest rates or mortgage rates are hitting like 7% now. So oh 
gosh, I just I like can't even imagine. I'm like stressed out for my friends that are looking for houses. I'm not even uh, looking for one. <laughs> yeah, I know you. So I saw that number 885 is fantastic. Okay. And then, so we have gas for 50, electric for 65, sewer for 24, garbage 20, water 26, cable and internet 200 and groceries 300. So total roundup comes to around 1600 a month. What a great, and did you put 20% down when you bought? Yes, I did. Perfect. Okay, fantastic. Okay, and so then with your monthly, then I'm impressed with your income and expenses, you know, for having, you have 2000 left over every month. That's great. So then from there, we have your savings. So you've done a great job with that. So your retirement total between 401k, 403b, um, Roth IRA, and then IPP. What's IPP? So I actually have a pension plan with my current employer. Oh, um, I love I love a good pension. Yeah. And that's actually one of my big questions because I just never anticipated having a pension plan. So I don't really know anything about them. <laughs> yeah, because they're like very old school and most people don't have them. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pleasant surprise when I got this job, but <laughs> I don't really know how it works. But yes, that's what the IPP is. Okay, so that's your that's the credits that you, or what you've paid into the pension. Yes. Yep. Perfect. And how many years have you been there? Um, so I've only been there a year and a half. So that's why it's pretty low at this point. And then do you know how many years you need to be there to vest in your pension? So in order to be paid out a pension? Yeah. So it vests after three years. Um, and that's for like the pension plan and the employer match for the 403B. It's three years for both. So three year vest. Okay. I will be there for three years. <laughs> yeah. And three years is, you know, usually with a pension, I was expecting to hear something, a higher, a higher number. So that's not bad. Okay, perfect. And so there's a match on the 403B. Yes. Um, so the match is, um, it's like half of 6%. So it works out to be 3%. But you put and in six to get three. Yes. Yep. Got it. 3% match. Okay. And then, okay. And then our, do I have that on here? Do you put in the full six, are you putting in 6% to get your three? Yes. Yep. Okay. And then you're, you have a Roth IRA. So are you putting into that as well? Yeah. I only started that, I think two years ago. So it's also like at a pretty low amount, something I learned about late in the game. <laughs> well, that's why we have the podcast so we can educate people. Because yes. no one tells you about this stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's like I knew about my 401k whenever I got out of school, but I had no idea there was there was more. Yeah, we have lots of things, lots of things. They just, no one teaches you about them. So with the Roth IRA, one of the reasons people forget about it is there's some restrictions around it. I really think that your workplace, starting with taking advantage of your workplace benefits, is the right way to go. So I think you are... 100% on the right track there. And because you can put more money into your workplace plan, you have a match, your dollar cost averaging because the money's going in every pay period. So there's a lot of benefits to to doing to starting with your workplace plan. So you were on the right track with that. And then as you have more bandwidth and you are below the income limits for the Roth IRA, you can do that too. And so for a single filer, you just have to have income below 144,000 modified adjusted gross income for the year 2022. So mm -hmm. do you see your income going up? Um, yes, but definitely with this job, um, it probably won't go up like extremely quickly. Like it'll just be a percentage every year. I don't anticipate getting like a big bonus or like a giant raise anytime soon, at least. Okay, perfect. Because what sometimes people figure out about the Roth and then it, it's a little too late because then they, they're they getting close to hitting those. When they have the bandwidth to do the work plan and a Roth, 
they're getting a little too close to the income thresholds. So I like just to mention those. And then those are if you because we have a wedding fund in here. If with ma- being married, it's um, two hundred and four thousand, I believe, for the, the limitations. So that's great that you're doing that. So you're maxing that out, I'm assuming, or doing like five thousand a year. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing, uh, just maxing it out since I've had it. Perfect. Okay. And then you have a brokerage account. So what is in your brokerage account? I do. Um, yeah. So my brokerage account, um, is just like a mix of investments. Um, so basically when I first started investing in my 401k, I didn't take full advantage of it. So like any extra that I had, I was trying to just throw into my brokerage account. Amazing. So yeah, that's kind of where that came from. So just an idea to throw out there, if you ever have a year where you're strapped, but you still want to do the Roth, but you don't have the cash, you could always take money from the brokerage account and put it into the Roth and have the same investment. So if you do that, does it it have like tax implications if you move like an investment from the brokerage into the Roth? Absolutely. That's a great question. Yes, it can. So like right now, since we're in a down year, what you could do is you could look for, it's called tax harvesting mm-hmm. um, and you could harvest losses. It's so funny. They use farming analogy. It's because it's actually a bit of work. So you can go through and you have to look at your cost basis on all your positions and then see if you have um, capital losses or capital gains. And those are broken down either into short-term or long-term. Mm-hmm. What is a strategic way to take advantage of a down market, which is what we're in, is to go through and look for losses. And it's called booking the losses or realizing the losses. Because right now, if you look at your brokerage account and it's down year to date, that's a paper loss. It hasn't been realized. So you actually might not have a loss tax wise. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yep. So you go through and look and just say, we'll just say you have stock because we can't do real, real names, but stock XYZ and you bought it, you might not actually have a loss in it yet, even though it's down from the high, you mm-hmm. might have purchased it, let's say in, I don't know, 2020, and you still have gains and you actually don't have a tax loss. So you would just go through and it's called harvesting. That's why it takes a little bit of time, but you look through your positions and see if you have any losses. And then what you can do is you can sell them and you hold the way it works is you hold it for 30 days and then you could repurchase on day 31 to keep the loss. Or you could sell the the position that you have losses in and and invest in something different, but it has to be substantially different. Um, And obviously you would want to confirm with your accountant before you did anything, but you know, in this market, you might not have a gain, but let's say it was an up year, anything you were to, to sell, you would have a gain to move it, potentially have a gain, a tax taxable gain to move it into the Roth. If it's held at the same company though, and this just depends on the firm. So let's say it's held at XYZ company. They have your retirement and they have your brokerage account. So they have your Roth IRA and your brokerage. You could ask them to take like XYZ stock and just move it from the in brokerage account into the Roth. And then that would not be taxable if they just move it. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering because, yeah, I do have my Roth IRA and my brokerage like at the same place. Um, yeah. So okay. I've seen firms where you say, okay, this position is $5,000. Can you move this position from this account and journal it is the word they use into the bro- from the brokerage into the Roth? And if it's not sold and it's just retitled, it usually it – usually, caveat here, I am not a CPA. It usually doesn't have tax ramifications. It just moves. Okay. That makes sense. 
But one thing to look at with the down market is because you do have, you know, over just over 100,000 in your brokerage is I would look to see if you have any losses, because you can put those on the books. And if you don't use them this year, they you can carry them forward. Okay. Yeah, I don't totally understand like how that works. Is it basically just like your losses? If you then have gains later, they just like equal offset. Okay. Yep. Yeah, no, you got it. Okay. That's how it works. And if you don't have any gains to offset the losses, you can use 3000 Okay. Got but it. what a lot of people do is the account goes down, it causes a lot of anxiety, <laughs> and they say, I've lost a lot of money, but you haven't actually lost anything until you sell. And so from a tax standpoint, you don't have any tax benefits until you realize those losses, which is sell those positions, and then you have a loss. And then you can repurchase the same positions. You just need to be mindful of the wash sale rule, which means you can't repurchase within that 30 day time frame. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm kind of of the mindset that I just leave my brokerage account where it is. <laughs> I try to not touch it as much mm-hmm. as possible. Um, just because that's the least complicated, but yeah, that all makes sense. Um, this is the first time that it's been down as much as it is now. So it's good to know and things to think about. Yeah. I, it just, I, there's a few ways to take advantage of a down market. And besides continuing to invest, one of them is to harvest some losses. And you could just, if you have an accountant, run it by your accountant before you do anything. It's always good to get their blessing mm-hmm. um, because obviously it has to be done within the calendar year to be used for this tax year, but you don't file your taxes till next year, right? So if there's a mistake, you, your accountant can't help, right? Because you don't go see them until you know, March or April, and it's too late to fix something. So it's always good to run it by your accountant in advance. Yeah, makes sense. Perfect. Okay, cool. And then we have your savings. So you're doing great with savings. So you have 73,000 savings, and you have it bucketed out, which I love. So 15,000 for emergency fund, 25,000 for wedding, 5,000 for vacation, 25,000 for car, and then you have some core savings as well bringing your grand total between retirement brokerage and savings to $327,499. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> it's no debt. Put, yeah, that's very nice other than the mortgage, but but very minimal mortgage relative to what you have saved. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to put all the numbers together and actually look at them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. You've done a lot of work. So you've obviously stuck to a budget over the years. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I feel kind of funny about, especially having listened to other episodes. Like I don't have like a line itemed budget really. Like the only reason I have expenses broken out is because I was trying to figure it out for when my boyfriend and I (laughs) moved in together. Um, But I kind of just go with the mindset of like, as long as I have money left over and I know about how much that should be, like, it's totally fine. So that's what I've stuck with. (laughs) Well, it's definitely worked because you've done a phenomenal job saving. Thank you. So should we we go through your questions here? Yeah, that would be that would be great. Okay. So first question: How does a pension plan get paid out, and how do taxes work for pensions? So I'm going to stay general. So generally speaking, you have to be vested in your pension. When you get your pension options, this is traditionally what you will see: is you'll be given payout options. It's usually let's see. Normally you get. 100% single life. So just paid out on your life, that's going to be your greatest benefit. It's also the greatest risk, right? Because it's for you and you alone. And so if you get hit by a bus in year three, the pension plan keeps the rest of the money, right? Okay. Then from there, you're going to have your joint life options. And that means it's you and whomever you put down. Now, it depends on your pension plan, whether they allow that to be a partner 
uh, a spouse, a child, some, some actually allow a child. So if you're, you know, a, a single individual and you have a child, you can put your child down, which is kind of wild because of the age difference, right? So they're mm-hmm. going to pay for two lifetimes. And then from there, it's usually how much is that second life going to be covered for? It goes from a hundred, usually down to like 25%, meaning we'll just use round numbers. You, uh, Melanie are entitled to 2000. That's your pension benefit. And if you choose to cover your, let's just say your spouse, when you select your pension option, you can choose for your spouse to get 100% of your benefit. So 2000 or 25% of your benefit. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like when it gets paid out, so like, obviously I only have like not very much money in that right now, (laughs) but, um, when you go to retire, like, does it get paid out all at once? You may have said this, but does it get paid out all at once or like, does it trickle out or? So they're usually, so it depends on the pension plan, which is why I'm going to say a little general. Some pension plans will say to you, you can take a lump sum payout, meaning you can roll it over just like you would a 401k and the value of your pension will be we'll just stick with the two numbers, 200,000. And you can just get a lump sum of 200,000. This is, and they'll value it when you go to retire and say it's $211,077 and 49 cents. So would you like a check for that amount? In which case you typically roll it over to a retirement, like an IRA. Okay. Or if you don't want a lump sum, you can get your monthly income. And the monthly income is where they give you those payout options. They keep the the principal amount, that 200 and change, right? And then they offer you payout options. And that's where you get these selections of the maximum benefit is you by yourself, not covering anybody else. Then from there, it's usually a joint life option, meaning it's you and somebody else. So it's two lives they're covering and you choose for the second life, how much they get of your benefit somewhere between hundred and down to 25%. And then from there, there are two other options that people always forget about that I think are important considerations. They're called life certain. And so you can get paid for a guaranteed five years and you have a beneficiary. So should you get hit by a bus in year three, the pension plan is responsible for paying out a minimum of five years. So if you're not around, they have to pay your beneficiary for five years. And the same goes for the 10-year option. There's usually a five-year guarantee and a 10-year guarantee. And so when you get this document, it's usually those options. So you have single life, you have the joints. Usually there's two to three joint options. There's sometimes a pop-up option. So a pop-up means that if you choose to cover your spouse for 100%, right? So you're going to take less to cover your spouse. So let's say your single life was the 2000, that's the max. You want to cover your spouse. So you're going to take a reduction to have your spouse. So let's say then your benefit amount is 1700 a month. And then your spouse would get 1700 a month should anything happen to you, but you chose the pop-up, otherwise known as a restore option. If your spouse, who you took a $300 monthly reduction to cover, right, predeceases you, let's say they get hit by a bus in year three, your benefit amount would go back to 2000 a month okay. because you chose wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. So those are typically, so I typically see either the, and not all of them offer a lump sum. So what I typically see is those options of single life, a joint somewhere between 100 and 25%, a restore and and or a pop-up for the same as the joint, and then a 10-year certain and a five-year certain. Those are traditionally what you see as your monthly pension income options. Okay. And with the payouts, like, okay, if I only have, you know, $10,000 in my pension, um, do the payouts just stop? Like as soon as that money runs out? No. Um, so that's the difference. So if you take the, 
if you were to draw a line down a sheet of paper and you do the lump sum versus you do the monthly income, mm-hmm. pensions, the reason they were so attractive is the pension is for your life. That monthly income is for your lifetime. It never runs out. So okay. can the pension plan go bankrupt? Absolutely. There is this thing called the pension benefit guarantee. I think it's corporation. I have to pension benefit. I think that's the initials. They guarantee there's insurance on it. So could it go bankrupt and default? Yes. Don't see that happen that often. There is insurance on pension plans to hopefully prevent them from defaulting, but they could in theory default. Mm -hmm. If you choose that lump sum, the risk with the lump sum option is you have to invest it so that you can generate that monthly income. And if you don't invest it well, or the market goes down 30% like it does, you know, it is year to date right now, you could run out of money, right? There is no guarantee for life. The difference between you taking the corpus, right, that that lump sum versus allowing the pension plan to keep the lump sum is they're guaranteeing you lifetime income. The okay. other option with the lump sum is you are saying, I'd rather have all my money today and I will figure out my monthly income. Okay. That makes sense. That makes and, sense? Yeah. And so that's how old pension plans work. And that's what annuities are very similar to is you decide what risk you want. Do you want the risk? Would you rather have the money and the risk of investing it? Or would you rather have them have the risk of investing it and just be happy with your monthly income? Mm-hmm. They're two. And it, so when those decisions come up, there really isn't, in my opinion, a right or wrong. It depends on the person. Some people feel much more comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going to take the monthly income and I'll let them worry about investing it and I'm going to cover my spouse. And so for the rest of our lifetime, we know with whoever's living, both of us will get that $1,700 a month monthly. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah, pensions and the, and the annuities now can replace or they can be basically a pension replacement where an annuity is an insurance and securities product. It combines facets of both. And one of the attractive qualities of an annuity is they can provide for guaranteed lifetime income. And that's what pensions do. Okay. If you don't take the lump sum. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, a pension was never something that I anticipated having. So I never like looked into it, understood how they worked. And then I got this job and was like, oh, surprise. (laughs) So Yeah, it's great. It's And you know what? Even if it ends up being some people are like, well, my pension's not going to be that much you know what? I'm happy if anyone gives me money, right? Like if, yeah. if someone's going to send you a check, like I, it's great because you're already saving, you already have a match in your four through B. So if they're going to also send you a monthly check in retirement, like great, wonderful, can't hurt. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the, ta- the way the taxes work on pensions is really depends on your state. Usually states don't tax state pensions, but it just depends. Um, and federally you would pay tax and it your retirement income is taxed like ordinary income. Mm-hmm. Um, so you pay, can in theory pay less tax in ret- in retirement. You're not paying into social security and Medicare at that point. Does that make sense? You're just paying your yeah. federal tax. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then question two is how do you determine the difference in net pay when you do the Roth 403B contributions? So that's going to be a, a big difference between pre-tax versus the Roth. So with the Roth, it's after tax money. So you've already paid tax on it. So you just have to kind of see where you fall tax-wise. And for your state, I just would have to look it up. If you, some states collect for the pre-tax, they make you still pay state tax. But generally, you don't pay any federal taxes for your pre-tax option. Um, For your state, I would just have to check if you're also 
um, deferring the state as well. And so for the Roth, you're paying all your taxes. Okay. And then it and then it gets invested, just like for your Roth IRA outside of work. That money that you got to put it in there went through payroll, and right. everybody took their bits and pieces out, and then then you can invest it. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to decide. Like my goal this year was to just max out my four hundred three b because that's not something I've ever done, and it felt like a good goal. So I just did it all like pre tax. Um, so I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I should consider Roth for next year. Um, but I don't know how that's going to affect like my take home pay necessarily. I don't know what the difference is going to look like. Um, so just trying to figure that out. You sure you're in a decent income bracket being in a hundred thousand dollars single. I really like what you're doing. Like you're putting, you're doing both. You're playing both, right? You're running both sides of the train. You have pre-tax, which is, because your match is also going to be pre-tax. You're doing a pre-tax contribution, getting a pre-tax match. And then outside of work, you're doing the, and it's almost even, right? Because with your 6% contribution, 3% match, that's 9,000, roughly $9,000 a year. And then you're doing 6,000 in the Roth. So it's like pretty spot on. Okay. If you wanted to up it, so it was like exactly even 9,000 and 9,000, you could add 3,000 annual in the Roth inside of the 403B. And then you're nine and nine. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I just feel like I should take advantage of the Roth in the 403B just because I can, but I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's a hard decision. Well, you definitely have the monthly income left over. So if you're saving 2000 a month, which is is $24,000 a year to take another $3,000 out of that and save 21,000 a year, Mm -hmm. it's not a big needle mover. So I I definitely think you could swing it if you wanted to add 3000 annual to your 403B. And then you're nine and nine. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then are FSAs worth it if you only use them for $100? Yeah, because it's pre-tax. So avoiding tax is always helpful. (laughs) Okay. Right? Why pay? Why pay if you don't have to? Yeah, I don't know. It's not like we're in open enrollment right now. So I'm like, well, if I'm ever going to make the decision, this is the time. But I didn't know. I'm like, my medical expenses are not that high. So I didn't know if it was worth it. But you can use it for like a bunch of stuff. Like as long, I would only put the money on there that you're going to use, but even $250, why pay tax on it if you don't have to? So I think that even if you, as long as you know, you're going to spend it because with an FSA, you don't want to lose it. So if you're going to spend, let's say $250, I think it's absolutely worth not having to pay tax on the 250. Okay. I am of this, the mindset, avoid, avoid, avoid tax. Yeah. And then how much to save for the next house? Well, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, this is like my biggest, um, I don't really know what to do. So I'm kind of at that point where like, I feel like in the next five years or so, there's going to be like a ton of expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just trying to figure out like between using equity for from like my current house versus buying like a larger house, like what should I do? So you think there's going to be a lot of expenses coming up on the, on the house? Yeah, I'm, well, okay. I'm just at that point in life where like in the next five years, I can see a lot of things happening. Like I can see getting engaged and planning a wedding and maybe having kids and maybe needing a bigger house. So I'm just trying to like (laughs) figure out how to like save for all of these different things. Some of which I've already done. But like buying a bigger house is something where I'm like, well, I have a ton of equity in my current home, but do I need to still like save additional over that? 
Or is there like any benefit to having it saved in cash versus like just having equity in my home and like selling that and using that equity? How much do you think your house is worth? So yeah, I, a similar house in like my neighborhood just sold for like 220. Um, But obviously we're in this like weird place where houses are going for like way more than they probably would otherwise. So I would say 200 is probably pretty safe. So you, in theory, could sell that house and even upgrade to a house for double, right? For 400 and put 50% down. Okay. Yeah. So the only thing that is, is if you wanted to keep it to have a rental income, which is only worth it if, you know, if you have to put a new roof in and a new suit, you know, like there's having, if you think there's going to be a lot of these expenses, you want to kind of get out of it, get your equity out and move into something else before all those things happen then it wouldn't be worth keeping it. I would, here's what I would do. It never hurts to have extra cash. Mm-hmm. You've already have 25,000 for the car fund. You have a good emergency fund. You have 25,000 for the wedding fund. Those funds, in my opinion, if you think those things are going to be happening in the next two years, do not belong in the market. Cause as you can imagine, if you needed it this year, you'd be down 20, 30%, which would right. be bad. Um, you can't say I like only need 70% of that car I'm missing the other 30%, you know? So I would, probably do a thousand dollars a month because then in two years time you have about another twenty four thousand you could put towards the house it could also then be a maintenance fund if you need to do work on the house upcoming so you could just decide then like are we gonna put money into this existing property and keep it as a rental or are we gonna just get rid of it and then we have extra cash to cover closing costs we'll put 50 percent down because that would keep your mortgage because mortgage rates will be higher right okay yeah, that makes sense. I've just, just been, like, like a little going. slush fund for it. Yeah, exactly. And I've been going back and forth on whether that's like worth it or whether it's better to just like try to invest some of that money and see what happens. But I don't know. <laughs> I think that if you have all of those big expenses coming up, I know it feels like because that would basically bring your savings to 100000 So some people will say that's crazy. You should invest it in the market. My opinion is you have to look at your worst case scenario. If you had 30%, you know, if you had only 30% of that money or 70% of it, you lost 30% in the market. Like, do you want to cut your wedding by 30% and cut the car cost by 30? You know, you have to be willing to absorb that risk because the market is meant for long-term money, in my opinion. What you can do with your savings, which hopefully you're doing is if you know the car fund isn't for two years, the wedding isn't for two years, you can do a CD. I would wait till the next rate increase, but you could probably get a CD for three, three and a half percent. So yeah. you'd be earning something on the money and you could just keep investing it in you know, higher yielding CDs as the rates go up. And then that way the money's there and you know exactly what it is when you go to buy a car. Yeah. You go to plan a wedding, you know exactly what your budget is. You don't have to worry that the budget's a moving target because the market's moving. Because as much as it can go up, it can go down. And I think that's, that's why it belongs in something secure. Yeah, that's way too stressful for me. So I like just yeah, I knowing that it's, it's there. <laughs> I don't think it's worth gambling. Like you, you know, it's it, not that the market's a gamble, but the thing about the market, the way to make money is to have time and mm-hmm. not have to sell. So I think that I would add a little bit more to that. So bring up your total savings to 100000 Then you have a good emergency fund. You've, you're ready to go to buy a new car. You have your wedding and you have money to either invest in the existing property as those issues come up because they, you know, houses always need something, or you could use that for the next property, just help offset some of the costs. Yeah. That's what I would do. 
I would not pay off the mortgage early. That's the next question. It's three and a half percent. You can totally make one principal payment a year that will effectively reduce the interest rate even lower, but I would definitely not pay it off early. Okay. Yeah. And that was my other question. Like I typically just throw like a couple hundred dollars extra at the Mm -hmm. principal payment a month. Is there any benefit to like doing it monthly versus like one lump sum? Because I've heard you talk about the lump sum before. Just like You can absolutely make your principal payment monthly. That's totally fine. Okay. Just add it in. Yeah, no problem. Um, and that will definitely help reduce the number of years. And so, um, and it will get paid off when you sell it and you don't have a lot. And I just think your money is better served doing other things because at three and a half percent, you're getting a little bit of a write-off and you have basically, it's basically free money. Okay. Um, and yeah, so the saving vehicle I'd recommend for saving for a house is to me, I would use CDs, they're finally starting to pay something. Um, I'm sure other people would tell you to put it in the market and it'll be fine. I just would hate it not be fine (laughs) because you, it might come up sooner, right? You might have an opportunity to buy something sooner. And so then you're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because like I said, I can see a bunch of things happening in my life in the next five years, but I don't know if it's going to be two years or the whole five years. So, and you know what usually happens when I see is it usually happens all at once. You like get engaged, have a wedding, buy a house and have a baby. Like usually when people do it, it's like real fast. Everything happens. Cause you know how, when it rains, it pours. And so then that way you'll be like, if it were to happen in like 18 months, like you'll have everything ready to go. You'll be like, I also get a car while we're doing this. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Why not? So (laughs) I think it's better to be prepared for all of that. And if it happens in two years, you're ready to go. If it takes a little longer, then you can, cause the thing is, if you put it in a CD and in 12 months, you're like, you know what? My life is in a different position. I definitely, I don't see myself having a wedding in the next two to three years, I'm comfortable investing the money, then you can do that. You know, this isn't permanent. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> I, yeah, I are on the side of being conservative. I always think you're better off having only made 3% than lost 30, right? Right. When the money was earmarked for something, then I think it just needs to be conservative. Yeah. Because you're saving it basically for another investment, right? Especially with the house. Right. And by having a little bit more cash that allows you to make that decision of like, do we keep this existing property and use it as a rental? Because now we have 25000 saved up for maintenance and repairs. So it won't derail our budget or our life. And, you know, maybe we use some of the other money that we've saved up to put a down payment on another home. So it just gives you, flex- I think to me, having a little extra cash gives you a lot more flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense. So the only other thing, do we have anything? I think you're in a good spot. I talked about this a little bit on the podcast. If you wanted to get term life insurance, you could. You don't technically need it at the moment because you have enough safe to cover, would pay off your property and you would be actually leaving somebody money or people money if you have your beneficiaries. The only reason I would say to get it is if you mentioned getting married and having kids. Usually when you have kids, you want to have some life insurance for them. So it's cheaper when you're sub 35. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually something that I didn't include in my spreadsheet because I didn't have a chance to look into it. I do have some kind of life insurance. Um, It was one of those things where a family member was like, I want to give this to you. And I was like, okay. Um, So I know that I do have insurance of some kind, but I do not have any of the details on it. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So I will give you a little homework. So look, just look that up and see what you have. And then in our online class, we talk about life insurance and how to figure out how much you have. 
the only you definitely don't need it right now. The only reason to get it is it would just be a little bit cheaper for you to lock it in. Like you could lock it in for a hundred bucks a month, yeah. you know, at, at your age. So, um, but check to see first what you own and then, and then go from there. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. And then other than that, I think you're in a great spot. So I would just keep, I would save for another property or save up just so that you have some more liquidity where you can target that since we've earmarked, you know, 25,000 for the car and 25,000 for the wedding. So it's not long. So you have another ideally 25 for either maintenance and repairs on the existing property or to put towards another property. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And for all of our lovely listeners, you can find our most up-to-date information on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.